Well, we're teaching a series on Sunday mornings entitled The Keys of the Kingdom of God. And we're using as a text scripture Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they come up with certain responses. Apparently in that day, um, in the days that Jesus was here on the earth, there were three main thoughts about who Jesus was. One was that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Another was that he was Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so they give him those answers. And Jesus then asks, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter responds and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers him and said, blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And and then in... uh, Verse 18, he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, meaning little rock, and upon this rock, now Peter's not the rock, the rock he's talking about is the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But he said, Upon this rock, the knowledge of who Jesus is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation says, The gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. I like that. That gives us a picture of the church on the move and Satan on defense. Unsuccessfully on defense. Verse 19 is the one I want you to see though. He says, and I will give unto thee, this is a part of the building of the church. He says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I want you to notice the phrase, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We know, if you have any any basic understanding of the Bible whatsoever, the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, you know that there are many, many places in Scripture where Jesus said something to the disciples and they would come to him afterwards if there was a crowd around. They'd come to him after the crowd was gone and say, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? When Jesus says, I'll give give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, they had to know that that meant something. They had to have understood what he was talking about. And I would submit to you that they understood more about it than we do in the modern day church. We see that Jesus did not ask, or they did not ask Jesus after the fact or interrupt him and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds really important. You're giving us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, keys aren't, weren't used in those days like they are in our day. People didn't lock their doors, and so he's not talking about a key to a lock. Keys were given as a symbol of a mastery of a certain stu- field of study. If you went to what we would consider to be a university or to study a certain specific area, then when you finish that course... They would give you a key to wear around your belt. And so everybody that saw that key would know what it represented or would know that it represented some uh, mastery of education. And so they might ask, what is that for? So when he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, I'll make you masters of the kingdom of heaven. Well, that sounds good. But if you don't know what the kingdom of heaven is that he's talking about, then what would you know that you were to be a master of? Look with me over to Luke chapter 9. 
Luke chapter 9 tells us about Jesus commissioning his disciples, the 12. And notice he says, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Pretty good gift. Now notice what he tells them to do with that. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now let me ask you a question. What do they think the preaching is supposed to be about? Or what do they think they're supposed to preach? If, for example, if we just said in in our modern day, we had an ordination service, which this is the equivalent of, and we laid hands on people and we said... We're sending you out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. What would that mean? Well, we put our own definition on that. We think the phrase kingdom of God means a generic, is a generic term that means anything about God. But let me ask you a question. Does the modern day church preaching anything about God demonstrate the power to heal the sick? The disciples didn't have more than what we have. In fact, and we'll look at this later on in the service if we go the direction that I think we're going to go. I never know. But the Great Commission is to go and teach all nations, literally make disciples of all nations. When Jesus commissions the twelve to take the gospel of the kingdom, he's saying, make disciples just like I made you. That means to equip them through the knowledge of who Jesus is and the building of the church to equip them with the same power and authority over devils and to heal the sick that they had. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've got what he gave his. This is an example. It's not a one-time offering. It's an example of what the church is supposed to be Throughout the church age. Remember Jesus said. I'll make you. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. As a part of building the church. Well we're the church aren't we. Well then that means we should be masters. And can be masters of the kingdom of heaven. If we can just figure out what that means. See when you talk about heaven. Everybody gets their eyes on the place that you go after you die. No, won't things be good when we get there? The church is so looking forward to getting to heaven because there won't be any devil there. And in the minds of the modern day church, 99% of them anyway, the only way they're ever going to have victory over the devil is to get to a place where he's not. So heaven is viewed mostly by the church as a place of escape. Heaven was not means to be a means that was not meant to be a means of escape. So he gave them power or authority over devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. 
And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. That's, we could summarize that by Jesus saying, travel light and trust God. That might be a good life motto. Travel light and trust God. Notice it says in verse 6, And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. And healing everywhere. And what did they preach? Obviously they knew what preaching the gospel of the kingdom meant in the earlier verse where Jesus commissioned them and sent them out to do it. They didn't have to ask, what do you mean by that? They knew what they were to preach because they got the results Jesus sent them to get. If only we could figure out what they preached. Maybe we'd get the same results. But again, the modern day church just looks at the gospel as be to tell people about Jesus. Just tell them I'm come. Tell them I'm the son of God. You think that's what the disciples preached? Oh, yes, Pastor Mike, they preached that Jesus was the Son of God come to the earth. Then why in Matthew 16 did he have to ask him, who do you say that I am? If their message was that Jesus is the Christ, good news, Jesus, the Son of God, has come to the earth, then why in the world did he have to ask him, who do you say that I am? And why wouldn't Peter have responded if that's what's really going on? Why wouldn't Peter have responded, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, just like we've been preaching. But in fact, Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. He tells him the reason that he knows that he's the Christ is not because he's been preaching it, but because God revealed it to him. From within. Now, why would God have to reveal it to the disciples? Because Jesus is not telling them. Jesus is not identifying himself as the Son of God. There are 65 times in the, in the four Gospels where Jesus identifies himself. 60 of those, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. Five of those he identifies himself as the son of God and three of those are in the same setting. Jesus is not identified with God other than, being his, his, uh, other than God being his father. He identified with man. Look to chapter 10. Here's where Jesus sends out the 70. Beginning in verse 1 it says, And after these things... The Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Okay, so now we know what they're commissioned to do. They're commissioned to go to a city before Jesus gets there. I always looked at that as them being given instructions to tell people that he was coming. But that's not what he did. He tells us the same thing. We won't read through all the verses Travel light and trust God on your journey. Skip down with me to verse 8. 
He said, and into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you. See, the will of the city, the will of the people in the city had something to do with the results that they were going to get. Just like it had something to do with Jesus' results in his hometown of Nazareth. They rejected him and he wasn't able to do any mighty work. Didn't have any signs and wonders and miracles there. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. There's that phrase, the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. The word kingdom simply means territory under the dominion of a ruler. Then that would mean the kingdom of God would be the territory under the dominion of God or under the rule of God. So say unto you, God's territory is close. Does that really mean anything to anybody? And where's Jesus in that? Now, folks, I don't want anything that I'm saying here to take away in your thinking from Jesus in the place that he's supposed to hold in our lives. If I was one of the disciples, I would have told everybody I knew about Jesus. I would have told everybody I knew about this guy that was doing healings and miracles and stuff you would not believe. We saw him walk on water. You've heard about how he multiplied loaves and fishes. That got around everywhere. So much so that people started coming for lunch. I would have told everybody about this guy. But Jesus never told anybody to go tell about him. In fact, there were people that Jesus would deliver from the power of the devil and people that he would heal and he would say, don't tell anybody about me. If the message was that Jesus had come and that Jesus was the son of God, why is he telling people not to tell? Because that wasn't the message. Well, what kind of results did they get? Skip down to verse 17. It says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What I want you to see is very simply this. Jesus did not commission the the 12 nor the 70 to go into cities before he got there to tell them that he was coming so that he could do the miracles and the works because they did the works before he ever showed up. But see, we think the gospel is telling people about Jesus because he's the one with authority. And if we'll just open our hearts to Jesus, then that authority will be exercised according to his will. And most of the church preaches it in such a way that you can't ever tell what God's going to do, but he might do good stuff. Now, we all know that there have been good, devoted Christians, people that love God with all their hearts that died sick. And so we, the modern church says, most of it anyway, 
So we can't conclude that God wants everybody to be well, but he can do good stuff because he's all-powerful. And since he can do anything but doesn't always do what we want him to do, we can't really figure him out. But receive the good news. No wonder the world's confused. The church is confused. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. See, folks, I believe Jesus had already defined for the disciples what the kingdom of God was. So when he told them to go preach the gospel of the kingdom, they understood very clearly what they were supposed to do. Not only that, but the Bible says that Jesus started his ministry preaching that people should repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. They preached the same thing Jesus preached. Jesus did not go around preaching that he was the son of God. Matthew chapter 6. What is it? Verse, uh, verse 9 where it says the disciples or Jesus started teaching them to pray. What we know of is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is that verse 9? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want you to notice something. Jesus taught the disciples to pray that God was their Father. That means they had, unless Jesus was tricking them, they had the beginnings of a father-son relationship. Now, we know that that wasn't in reality, but it was a promise. Jesus had it in reality. The difference in Jesus and the disciples is that Jesus was a man on the earth that was out from under, never had been under the influence of sin in any way whatsoever. He was born of a virgin, bypassed the sin, that passed upon all mankind through the man, Adam. And so he was a sinless human being, a sinless man. They were sinful men. But because they had opened their hearts to receive Jesus and that which he taught, that put them in line for the promise of righteousness that came through the new birth. He doesn't teach them to pray God in heaven who we hope one day to be our father, hallowed be thy name. He taught them to pray our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because they were in line for the promise. They were in line for the righteousness that would come through the new birth, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice the first thing he tells them to pray for. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Now what does that mean, thy kingdom come? I believe Jesus gives them the definition for the kingdom of God in the next phrase. Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So when Jesus tells them that they have authority to cast out devils and to heal the sick, and commissions them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching. He's commissioning them to preach the good news. That the will of God can be done here on the earth. Just like it is in heaven. Now folks if you think about that. That answers a lot of questions. 
Because if the kingdom of God, which by the way, the kingdom of God had not come in their day, it has come for us. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, can a man be born again? Can he crawl back up at his mother's womb and be born the second time? A few verses later, Jesus said, this is John 3, 3 and verse 5, I think. He said, except a man be born of water, natural birth, and of the spirit, the new birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he's saying the entrance into the kingdom of God is the new birth. Well, you couldn't be born again while Jesus was here on the earth. That came only after his resurrection. So when Jesus is telling them to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand or near, he's saying it's soon to come. It was within three years of the time that they started preaching. But for us, it's already come. Colossians 1.13 says that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of Jesus, would have to be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? Jesus and God are one. So see, it's already come for us. So what does that mean? That means the good news is that the will of God can and should be done in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven which removes the idea of heaven being a place of escape because God wants you to have the same victory over the devil here, now, today, that you'll have in heaven where he's not even present. That's total victory then, isn't it? So what did the disciples preach? What got them healing results and authority over the devil? There's the will of God to be done. It's God's will for your life to be here on the earth now, just like it will be in heaven. Now, let's put the, the history of man, or the, well, not the history of man. Let's put the history of the world on a timeline. Let's imagine it as a straight line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we don't know too much about what things were like early but we've got a little bit of information. We have information that in that original creation, when the earth was created, and we don't know when that was, that could have been billions of years ago. But at the original creation of the heavens and the earth, there were cities, there was trafficking, merchandising. We don't know who was here other than Satan, who was then Lucifer. We know that man wasn't here. And we know that Lucifer had a throne here on the earth that he said that he would exalt above the heavens. He claimed that his purpose was to be like God, usurp God in his throne and his power. Well, the Bible tells us what the result of that was. He got a third of the angels to follow him in his revolt. And God defeated him and cast him back into the earth. The Bible says that, that Satan destroyed the cities that were here and made the earth a wasteland. That must be the condition that Genesis 1-2 talks about where it says the earth was. King James says the earth was without form and void. The word was literally is the word became. God didn't create it that way. But it became without form and void. 
that must be the only thing that the Bible identifies as a possibility that I'm aware of for what could cause it to come to that condition is Satan's disruption of the earth. Now let's consider what, what God intended from the beginning. When he made whatever the pre-Adamic race world was, since he's the creator of it, it would have to be the kingdom of God, would it not? Whatever system operated here was, it had to be the kingdom of God. But his plans were thwarted by the revolt of Satan and the third of the angels. So then in Genesis 1-2, God looks at the earth, which has become without form and void, and says, I'm going to remake this thing. So in six days, he creates the earth and everything that's in it. He makes man in his own image and after his likeness and gives man authority over the earth. Makes man the ruler of this new realm, this new kingdom, this new world that he's created. Well, what is that realm, system, world, created, kingdom? What does that look like? It's got to be identified as the kingdom of God because God's the creator of it. Now, in the original creation, the kingdom of God meant that the will of God was done on the earth just like it is in heaven. When God made the earth again and put man in the middle of it, gave Adam dominion over the works of his hands, the will of God was intended to be done on the earth just like it was in heaven. Man was created in God's image, and until he was influenced by sin, he was righteous. He had the Spirit of God on the inside of him, and that righteousness was the source of the authority that God gave him. But then Satan came on the scene, influenced man to misuse his authority, and he corrupted this world system. So what happened? Man is now in a fallen state. He's in an unrighteous fallen state. Now no longer is the will of God being done on the earth as it is in heaven. God tries to involve himself in mankind's affairs through covenants. He finally makes a covenant with Abraham and his seed, singular. Galatians 3 tells us it wasn't just to Abraham and his children, but it was to Abraham and his seed, meaning Jesus. So when Jesus comes along, as I said before, because he's born of a virgin, he's avoided the, the influence of sin that was passed down from Adam. And he's operating as a righteous man. He's operating just as Adam did before the fall. And as a result, he does signs and wonders and miracles through the anointing of the Holy Ghost that comes on him. So what does he do? Does he go telling people that he's the Christ? No, he starts telling men that he has authority. Look with me over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses of the chapter, verses 48 and 49, I believe. Jesus has just concluded a lengthy teaching. He ends it by talking about building your house on the rock of the word and withstanding the storms of life. And notice in Matthew 7, verse 48, it says, And they were astonished. When these say, is that right? 28? My Bible's got 48 verses. <laughs> That's why I know more than you do. Okay, Matthew 20, uh, 7, 28. And when Jesus had ended these sayings, they were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice the phrase, 
They were astonished at his doctrine. They weren't astonished at him. They were astonished at his doctrine. Now, if Jesus operated on the earth like most of the modern-day church thinks he did, trying to prove that he was the Son of God through signs and wonders and miracles, wouldn't they have been astonished at him? And if that was the whole purpose of Jesus being here on the earth, why teach about all the other stuff? Why muddy up the waters by teaching on a bunch of other things? Why not just prove that he's the son of God? And once you prove that, just say, now do whatever I tell you. I'll give you more information after I go to the cross. But they were astonished at his doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. Notice the next verse, verse 29. For he taught them, I'm quoting from the King James, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Do you see the word one in that verse? Do you notice that it's in italics? Anytime you find a word in italics in the King James Version, it means the translators added it. Now, I have no doubt that the translators added it because their idea of Jesus and his earthly ministry is the same as most of the modern-day church. They thought the ministry of Jesus was all about proving that he was the Son of God because that's what we do. We try to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. We try to convince people that Jesus is the Christ, that he went to the cross and died for their sins. The problem is if somebody's not even concerned about their sins, that's not really good news for them. And there's a lot of people here on the earth that aren't really concerned about their sins. Well, what are we going to do about them? Verse 29. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority. Take the word one out of there because it's not in that verse. For he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. The words as having literally mean how to hold. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them how to hold authority. Jesus went about teaching that man had authority. He didn't go around teaching that he was the Christ, the Son of God. He went around teaching that man has authority. Why? I I thought for years. I'm, I'm ashamed now that I see the truth. But I thought for years... And I didn't originate this idea. I heard other people preach it. I just believed what they said. I believed for years that at the fall of man, he lost his authority. But that can't be right. Because if man had lost his authority, if unsaved man does not have authority on the earth, that means two things. Number one, it means the work of the devil is greater than the command of God, who said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the earth. The word of God would be subordinate there for, or in that case, to the work of the devil when he deceived Eve and caused Adam to fall. But secondly, and more importantly in my thinking, if man didn't have authority on the earth, then it wouldn't be up to his choice and his decision on getting saved. If he's lost his authority to the devil, then the devil could keep somebody from getting saved by the force of his will and not just through deception. Now, the Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this world, meaning this world system, which literally means he exercises his will on the earth through his influence to make man misuse his authority. 
his God-given authority. He got man to start thinking and operating according to his five physical senses at the fall rather than operating from his spirit as God created man to operate. You think about all the work that the devil does in the earth. It's a result of a corrupted system. Nature has been corrupted by the presence of sin. And so you have natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, and so forth. Paul said the whole earth is groaning and travailing until the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, until Jesus comes back for the church and we appear as we were intended to be. But his influence in kingdoms and dominion over rulers and so forth is all through the same way. He deceives man to influence man to misuse his authority. To use his authority contrary to the will of God and contrary to to that which is in his own best interest spiritually through deception. That's the only way the devil can work. So I thought for a long time that man lost his authority, but he didn't. This is confirmed by what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that man had authority because God's command, God's original intent, God's design for man to have dominion over the earth has never been rescinded and never will be. Man has authority. What you say goes. So they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them how to hold authority. Another way to say that might be he taught them how to exercise authority. He taught them how to use their authority. They were astonished at his doctrine. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. Are you with me? This making any sense? I, I know you may not know where we're going exactly with this. Some of this I wait to find out myself. Because there are so many things in my heart about this. I see it in everything. It's changing me. And it's changing the direction of my ministry. Because this is what Jesus said would be preached in all the world as a witness. He said this gospel. Not a new gospel. He said this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness. The word witness means with proof and evidence. Let me show you what that means. Matthew 28. Jesus is raised from the dead. Been to the cross. Resurrection has taken place. Verse 18, it said, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, literally authority, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, where is Jesus going? Heaven or earth? He's about to go to heaven, isn't he? That's where he is now, is he not? He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven, the Bible says. So what's his authority on the earth good for? Nothing at all unless we use it. That's why the Bible says we are the body of Christ. 
We're supposed to do the same works that he did, which is what he told us we would do because he goes to the Father. When he says all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, he's going to be in one of those two places, not both. That's why he commissions them when he says, go ye therefore, he's saying, you take the earth, I'll take heaven. Not sure that was a really good deal for us, but nevertheless, that was the deal. I'm going to heaven. I'll take care of things there. You go into the earth. You utilize my authority there. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That phrase teach all nations literally means make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So clearly he wants us to reach the lost. Right? Teaching them, verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now this goes back to something that we asked, the question that we asked earlier in the service. When Jesus commissioned the disciples to go preach and then commissioned the 70 to go preach the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God, that had to mean something to them because they didn't stop and ask him to clarify. So when he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, that has to mean something to them too. Now, folks, I would submit to you that if there's a new message then Jesus missed the perfect opportunity to tell them that there's a new gospel to preach. I believe. And when I started seeing this, I had a hard time with it. I believe that whereas we try, we, the modern day church, tries to convince people, persuade them that Jesus is the Christ, And that because of his sacrifice on the cross. He's paid the price for sin. And we need to be born again. Because we need to put spiritual things first. I believe in in, to a great degree that's been ineffective. Because unsaved people aren't concerned about heaven. Unsaved people aren't concerned about spiritual things. When God appeared to Abraham. Did he talk to him about spiritual things or did he talk to him about natural things? He said, follow me, go where I tell you to go, and I'll bless you. Where? I'll give you spiritual blessings. I'll do good things for you inside. No, the blessing of the Lord that he was talking about made him rich. Now, was that contrary to God's original intent for mankind? Not at all. When God gave man authority over the earth, dominion over the work of his hands, God expected his will to be done in the earth just like it was in heaven. Any lack in heaven? Anybody's business failing in heaven? I'm not sure what business we have in heaven, but whatever we do there will work. See, all the things that we experience here on the earth should be a mirror image 
of what it will be like for us in heaven if we learn to be masters of the principles that govern that kingdom. If we learn the principles that master the will of God being done in the earth here today in our lives just like it is in heaven or will be in heaven. Is in heaven for those that are there, will be for us who go. That had to be what Jesus was telling the disciples. So what does he say? He says, teach them. Now this is the great commission. Everybody understands this is the great commission. This is where the majority of the church says that we were commissioned. We, the church, were commissioned to go preach that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. Thank God he was raised from the dead. Thank God he paid the price. But is that the message to win the lost with? Well, yeah, if somebody's spiritually inclined. That works pretty well in our church because if somebody comes to church, it does show an interest in God. But most of the lost are not coming to the church. What did Jesus tell them to do? He told them to teach them to observe all the things that he's commanded them. What did he command them? The only command he's given them about going into the cities is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That God wants things to be in your life here on the earth just like they are in heaven and heal the sick. Now we've got a problem with that. Because if that's true, Paul seems to contradict it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And that's one of the big scriptures that we get that motivates much of, most of, the outreach efforts of the church. But turn back to Acts chapter 8. Let me point out to you something while you're turning. Jesus did not tell the disciples to go preach the gospel of the kingdom and pray that God would heal the sick. Where are we in the modern day church come up with our idea that that we're supposed to pray that God will heal? The authority to heal the sick is not in heaven. So what are we praying to God to do something about that for? The authority to heal the sick is here on the earth. You can't find one example where Jesus ever prayed about somebody's healing. He healed the sick. Why? Because he was anointed to heal the sick. What did Jesus give the disciples? The same power, the same anointing to heal the sick. What did he give the 70? The same power, the same anointing to heal the sick. Now he was able to give them that power, that anointing. Because their hearts were opened. To Jesus and to the teaching that he was preaching to them. The things that he was telling them about the days to come. Those days we've already entered into through the new birth. 
So the idea that they had some anointing or power to heal the sick here on the earth when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry that we don't have is ridiculous because the power to heal the sick came from two sources. Number one, Jesus was a righteous man. And number two, he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Or let's say it this way, he was commissioned by God to do the work. Well, the Bible says that Christ was made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are just as righteous as Jesus was here on the earth. You are just as righteous as Jesus is righteous now. Now, there were two forms of righteousness for Jesus. One, when he was here on the earth because he never was tainted with sin. But he was completely righteous. But then when he was made sin, he became sin. Then he had to be born again from sin to obtain the righteousness that he has now. That's the same righteousness you have. The Bible says Jesus was the first begotten or firstborn from the spiritually dead. Well, I'm not sure what yours, your number and my number is, but we've got the same new birth, the same righteousness. Furthermore, we have the same commission that Jesus had. Jesus was commissioned by God the Father. The Holy Ghost came upon him in bodily form as a dove. We've been commissioned Because Jesus said the same works that he did here on the earth will do also. So we've got the same anointing, same power over sickness and disease. And the same righteousness as a foundation to operate in. Have you found found Acts chapter 8 yet? Notice it talks about Philip going down to Samaria and preaching Christ. What is that? Verse uh, 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Here's the first evangelistic outreach of the early church. Philip is the first and the only example that we have of a New Testament evangelist. Well, look what he preached, Pastor Mike. He preached Christ. That's what Paul said he preached to the Corinthians. Now, if the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he preached Christ unto them, And the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write that Philip preached Christ. He's not going to mean two different things, is he? Is he? Well, let's see what Philip did. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, and both hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching, notice he's going to define what preaching Christ is now. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. They were baptized, both men and women. What Philip preach? 
He preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, folks, I'll leave it up to you to define whether or not the kingdom of God means something different than Jesus defined it to be. That's up to you. If the kingdom of God just means he preached things about God, concerning God, okay, that's what you want to think, that's okay. But this is the Holy Ghost inspiring Luke to write and describe to us what took place. And I believe that if the modern day church, the present day church, will operate the same as the early church did when they got results, we'll get the same results. Now, you know as well as I do that there's a lot of the church that's preaching Jesus crucified and raised from the dead and dying for your sins that don't exercise authority over the devil or heal the sick. I think that's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, the people preaching don't expect those results. And number two, they're not preaching anything that will cause faith in the people to rise to receive those results. But Jesus talks about a gospel to be preached. Why don't you turn with me over to Matthew 24? Rather than me just refer to this, let me let you see this. Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus is answering the disciples' questions about the end times. They want to know what is the sign of the end of the world, when is the temple going to be destroyed like Jesus said, and what's the sign of his coming? Those are the three questions that Jesus has asked and answers. He tells about certain signs of the end, the end of the age, famines, pestilence, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, by the way, that's the race riots and stuff that's going on now with the Black Lives Matters stuff. That's an end time sign. Whichever side you're on on that, be that as it may, I'm just telling you it's a sign of the end. But then Jesus gives a sign of the end concerning the church. He says there are things you can look at in the world that you can tell where we are and there are things you can look at in the church you can tell where we are. Notice verse 14. Um, well, let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up to verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, Jesus is talking about two things. He's talking about the end of their lives, the persecution that came against the early church while the disciples were still alive physically. But he's using that as a pattern for the persecution of the church in the last days. One of the signs of the end is the church will be persecuted. Then notice verse 14. He said, And this gospel, in the midst of persecution, and this gospel of the kingdom 
shall be preached in all the world for a witness. This is the word that means with proof or evidence. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, to the disciples, what does that phrase, this gospel of the kingdom, mean? Does it mean generically just stuff about God? Well, if that's the case, then, it mean, then Jesus is saying a sign of the end is that the church will be preaching about God. Big whoop. That means nothing. But if he means this gospel of the kingdom, according to the definition that he gave them in prayer, that the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. That example is the one that they've already gotten results with. That preaching is what they've already gotten healing results with and what they've already used to cast out devils. Now that would fit with what Paul writes to the church by the Holy Ghost about the glory of God being seen in the last days and Jesus coming back for a glorious church. That would fit with what the Bible says about Jesus will return when we make the devil our footstool. In other words, when the church operates in practice, in authority over the devil, according to that which we've been given in the name of Jesus. That would fit. Like I said, I had a hard time with this when I started seeing it. Because what little bit of religion is left in me rose up and said, but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So I prayed about it. I said, Lord, if this is right, I need to know because I've, I need to preach what you said will be the sign of the end. And the Lord asked me one simple question. He said, what about your rabbi friend? And I saw it. Some years ago, many years ago, I was inquiring online uh, about an online Hebrew course. And so I saw one advertised and it looked like it was something I might be interested in. So I called the number and there was a gentleman that answered the, the phone and he was a rabbi that lived in New York City. Well, he and I started talking and man, we hit it off. He was an older fella who's in his 80s when I met him. Well, when I met him, when I talked to him, never did meet him. And for 10 years, he and I would talk three or four times a year on the phone. His wife died about uh, six years, maybe seven years, I guess, after I first met him. And so after that time, he began dividing his time between Israel and New York City. And we'd talk sometimes for hours. I really loved that guy. And I knew he was going to hell. I've never prayed for anybody's salvation like I prayed for his. I talked to him about Jesus. He talked to me about the blessing of Abraham. 
I tried to tell him that Jesus was the seed. He said, how do you know that? I said, well, Galatians 3 says so. He says, I don't care about Galatians. Chapter 3 or any other chapter. I never could find a way to talk to the man. To get him where I wanted to get to him. Now, I offended him once. Because I told him. I just came right out and told him. This was toward the latter end of our relationship. I just told him, I said, you know, you're in trouble because you don't have any covenant with God. Man, that made him mad. He said, of course I have a covenant with God. I've got Abraham's covenant. I said, yeah, but you're not sacrificing. You know as well as I do that no sacrifice has been made since the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Well, he didn't have an answer for that, so he just hung up on me. I thought, oh, Lord, I'll never talk to this guy again. But I did. I called him sometime later. He acted like it had never been said. It had never happened. But we were never able to, I was never able to approach spiritual things with him again. A couple of years later, he died and went home. Well, I didn't go home. I don't even like to think about where he is. But when the Lord was, when I was praying about this, and the Lord asked me a question, what about your rabbi friend? If I had had the spiritual wisdom to talk to him about the will of God being done on the earth like it is in heaven, I might have made some inroads with him. He taught me that the Jews don't have heaven as a part of their doctrine. Now, the modern-day church does. Modern-day church talks about spending eternity in heaven. You do realize that's not going to happen, don't you? If we are the generation that sees Jesus return, you'll spend seven years in heaven, and then God will bring heaven down to earth. We never completed the timeline that we started with the, with the history of the, of the universe, but the last thing we have record of God doing is bringing the new Jerusalem down to the earth, not spending eternity in heaven. So from the beginning all the way to the last thing that we know God does, it's not the last thing that he will do. It's just the last thing that we know that he'll do. Is the will of God being done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Everything ties to that, folks. Everything. If I'd only been able to talk to that man, about the will of God being done on the earth. Because see, he got the blessing of Abraham. He got it. Rabbis aren't just rabbis. They always have businesses on the side. And he was a diamond merchant. He did quite well. Didn't leave me a dime. see if I'd been able to talk to him about that I remember thinking when I talked to him I remember one time thinking specifically I said it this way to myself I said this guy is so carnal I can't believe it he's a rabbi and he's so carnal but it wasn't carnality he was just a natural man in other words he was interested in natural things 
Because that's what the blessing of Abraham was about. It wasn't about a spiritual future. It was about the blessing of God now on the earth. God's will to bless Abraham here on the earth. Now Abraham realized that there was more to God than that. And he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He got that. He got that there was more than just this natural life. But the way that he got it was the blessing of God in this natural life. I'm really hoping this is making sense. I see it very clearly. I'm just not sure I'm able to communicate it. I guess if I leave you with anything, it's just one thought. What gospel is it that's going to be preached in all the world for a witness before the end comes? It's got to be something more than the modern day church is doing now. If just the preaching of Jesus dying on the cross is going to do it, is it, if that's going to get the world saved, then why aren't they saved already? Got to be something more than that. I don't believe we really hit on the way to reach the lost yet. I believe we're trying to talk to natural men about spiritual things. God didn't even do that when he approached Abraham. He talked to him about natural things. He said, hook up with me, partner with me, and I'll bless you. And he did. But because we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Now we can have the will of God on the earth. We can demonstrate the will of God on the earth. Not for just our own well-being. God wants to take care of his children, of course. But he wants us to be a witness to the world. He wants there to be a difference. And I believe with all my heart that this is one of the differences in the last days. When the world starts going south, we'll start heading north. When the world's finances start to tank, the, wor- the church, at least those, that segment of the church that's believing God and operating according to his word, are going to increase and be taken care of in a supernatural, I believe even a spectacular manner. And it's going to cause people to wonder. People are going to ask, how are you doing so well in this situation? That's why I don't have a lot of confidence in politics. I really don't believe. I'd like to be wrong on this. Naturally. From a selfish point of view. I really don't believe we'll have anybody elected that's going to make the economy better. I don't believe anybody's going to be elected that makes things more comfortable for anybody. I believe that's where we are in God's timeline. And I know exactly what I'm saying. I know what that means. It means glory for the church. But God knew you were up to the task. He wouldn't have chosen you for these last days if you weren't. So when the world starts to sink, the church will rise higher and higher and higher. Now, I don't mean the church, the 
the church as a whole. I think a lot of the church will abandon ship. I think a lot of the church will give up. But they'll be a part of the church. That'll demonstrate the magnified glory of God. Amen. Amen. Well, they prepared communion, so we better receive it. Hallelujah. I believe the last day church will be a source of strength like never before. It'll be a healing center like never before. It'll be a place of peace like never before. All of those things are represented in these elements. Come ahead, gentlemen. 